That was the J Cut, and this is a K Cut, a movie podcast for movie nerds. This is part two of our Oscars roundtable, so we're just going to get right into it. We have an Oscar veteran with Rachel, who's been doing this actually longer than I have with this amount of like this amount of uh, fanaticism. I would say you've been watching a lot more than I have. And James, who's doing this for the very first time. So we have somebody new and we have somebody who I would consider like an expert on this. So we need something borrowed and something blue. Yeah, there you go. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you guys both an Oscar quiz. So I've tried to make it as deliberately difficult as possible with a couple of easier questions, but... I'm trying to make it so both of you have a chance and it's not going to be like, how many wins does Meryl Streep have? Which, how many is it, Rachel? Three. Yep. That's the answer. So Do you want the years? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not going to be that. It's going to be a little bit harder. So uh, are we both ready for uh, a painful Oscar quiz? Let's do I mean, it. this world is painful enough right now, so sure. Question one. This person was nominated for both Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor in the same year. However, they were nominated for literally the same role in both categories. So this isn't like Keith Stanfield being a lead and a supporting or whatever. This is somebody who was nominated for both categories for the same role. I know, I know. Oh, no. Okay, well, I'm going to read them out anyway. Mm -hmm. So I guess we'll we'll get James to go first. (laughs) So who got nominated for both actor and supporting actor in the same role for the same year as well? Was it Joseph Schildkraut? Barry Fitzgerald, Al Pacino, or Sesu Hayakawa? Uh, I'm just going to say Al Pacino, just because that's a name I recognize. Okay. So, like, maybe, like, uh, Michael Corleone? Yeah. If <laughs> That wouldn't surprise me if that happened to him. Rachel, what is your answer? Barry Fitzgerald, 1944, going my way. Wow. Uh, yes. They changed the rules after. Yes. Uh, okay. So, never mind. I guess I guess you did know that one. Uh, <laughs> yes, that is true. He was uh, uh, Father Fitzg- Fitzgibbon in Going My Way. I'm sorry. Father Fitzgibbon in Going My Way, and I, not even a great movie at all, but he got, he got nominated for both and lost to Bing Crosby, but won. So, ridiculous. Didn't Bing Crosby break his Oscar that year, too? <laughs> he, he might have. I actually don't know. But uh, James, uh, Al Pacino was nominated for supporting and lead for Michael Corleone, but for both different Godfather films. So oh. He was also nominated twice in one year, wasn't he? For... Two separate films. Probably. Probably for something. Yeah, I think it was Scent of a Woman and Glenn Gary Glenn Ross in 1992. Oh, yeah, that's true. Oh, God. Okay, so you see where you're going up against, James? <laughs> okay, so... I had no friends in middle school. This is my revenge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so question number two. This one might not be as easy for Rachel. Uh, Wings was the first Best Picture winner ever, and it also won the very first award for special effects. However, for the next couple of years, they didn't have that award. So... Once the category came back for best special effects, which was the second winner, excluding honorary Oscars, which back then were a lot more frequent. So the second winner ever for best special effects was it Spawn of the North, Gone with the Wind, The Rains Came, or The Thief of Baghdad? Rachel, we're going to go with you first. I'm going to say Gone with the Wind. I think The Thief of Baghdad was like too early for the Oscars, and I've never heard of the other two. Okay, James, what about you? I'll say The Rains Came. One of you got it right, and it wasn't Rachel. It was The Rains Ooh. Came. So believe it, or, really? believe it or not, Gone with the Wind didn't win. It won everything else, though. It did, exactly. <laughs> but it, we do have a bonus question, just for argument's sake. This has to do with The Thief of Baghdad. So the, it won the following year. 
So 1940. Oh, it did. It did. But okay, I was very off with the th- back This then. is a very interesting question. How many nominees were se- were selected for this 1940 award? Take a random guess. One. Two. Complete opposite. It's 14, which I've never seen before. What? In any category. In any category, there were 14 freaking nominations. So that makes zero sense. I know. So (laughs) I just like once I saw that, I was like, okay, I've got to toss that in there somehow. So now we're at question number three. So this one, I feel like Rachel might get. I'm not sure. James, you might as well. This one's a little bit of something you can maybe guess. Presently, how many Oscar winners have rejected their actual wins? Is it A2, B3, C4, or D5? Rachel. I know it's at least two, but I feel like I need to count all categories. So I'm going to go with three. Okay. James, what do you think? I was going to go with three as well. You're both right. It's, it's actually three. In order, it was Dudley Nichols, who was a part of a writer's strike, so he didn't participate. Mm-hmm. George C. Scott, who just hates the Oscars, so that was one obvious one. The most iconic one is Marlon Brando for you know his rejection of The Godfather, where he won as Vito Corleone, where he sent Stasheen Littlefeather to, to accept and reject his award because of the mistreatment of Native Americans, particularly in and around the film industry. So... Uh, you both got that right. Wow, you actually both tied 2-2. So we have uh, two more questions, so we'll see how this goes. And this one you both might actually know. Which of these winners have done a three-peat? So back-to-back-to-back wins. Is it A, Tom Hanks, B, Emmanuel Lubezki, C, Jason Robards, or D, Walt Disney? James, who do you think? Oh, this is easy. Lubezki. Yeah, it's Lubezki. That's actually, yeah. You, you both got it right. So now it's 3-3. It was Emmanuel Lubezki. Because it was The Revenant, um, Birdman, and Gravity, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you got it. Perfect. And this has also a bonus part. What is the longest amount of repeats that Walt Disney did consecutively? So not how many he wanted in general, but what was his longest stretch? I'm going to say five. Seven. Both of you were so close. It was six. He six-speeded. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, right in the middle. But get this. He won four Oscars in 1954 alone for his short films. Like, in, like, four different categories. Mm-hmm. So, that's ridiculous. So, we have one last question. You're actually tied 3-3. This is amazing. Which of these terrible films was not an Oscar nominee? like Suicide Squad, which ended up winning for Best Makeup and Aerostyling. So which wasn't an Oscar nominee? Is it A, Jackass Presents Bad Grandpa, B, Fifty Shades Freed, C, Click, or D, Transformers Dark of the Moon? Rachel. Wasn't it Click? Yeah, I'm going to go with Click also. Click was nominated. It wasn't Fifty Shades Freed because Fifty Shades of Grey got nominated for Best Original Song, but it wasn't Fifty Shades Free. Oh, Click was. Oh, Free you're tricky. <laughs> but hey, you both tied. You both got you both got three. That's amazing. So yeah. that actually went a little bit better than I was expecting. I was expecting a blow up. But James, you held your own. Rachel, you kicked butt. So fantastic. And speaking of Oscars and the two of you, um, I've had experience before because, you know, I, I've been in journalism for a while getting Oscar screeners. And I just wanted to ask you guys, like, um, these were your first Oscar related screeners ever where you could watch these things ahead of time. So we had uh, The Man Who Sold His Skin. That was the feature that we all had as a screener. We had um, 
And these are legitimate screeners, by the way, uh, listeners. These were like from the studios. These were from actual publicists and studios. We had uh, well ahead of time. We had the shorts, Genius Okai, and White Eye as well. So how did how did that go for you guys? Like, and what did you think? It was a very smooth process. I, I thought the way it worked was really good. I felt very very snobby about it all. Look at me, I'm awesome. I get the screeners. And um, yeah, I think it was really great to be able to see these films and not to have to worry about access or anything like that. The Man Who Sold His Skin was absolutely well worth seeing, and I'm sorry it hasn't been widely released yet. And yeah, I thought all three of those were very, very strong films. Yeah, I'd say it was definitely quite an experience. You know, it's it's almost like I was in this part of this club where we got something exclusive. It's like, oh, I get to see these before other people. Like uh, Genius Loki, that... Definitely a really interesting one. That animation is just off the charts and just conceptually pretty odd, which which is what I liked about it. Uh, White Eye was great, you know. Definitely, definitely a little bit more of a nuanced short compared to some of the other ones that it was up against. Which it was still mm-hmm. great. Minnesota Skin, uh, yeah. I'm, I feel bad that no one else gets to see this movie yet. Like this should have been had a wide release already. It said so much. Yeah, and it was just such a good film. It was probably one of my favorites I've ever seen in general. Just front to back was amazing wow that's huge that's huge praise then and that category was stacked which we'll get into later um one thing i should add before we get into the categories is that they always have honorary awards at the oscars which they don't this year this year they did not add an honorary award um i'm guessing they had other things on their mind which is understandable but they did give out two jane herschel humanitarian awards one went to tyler perry for his active engagement with philanthropy and charitable endeavors in recent years including efforts to address homelessness and economic difficulties faced by members of his community the second went to the motion picture and television fund which is being honored for the emotional and financial relief services it offers to members of the entertainment industry which my words i think are very important this year considering all the disruption in that industry so congratulations to both those recipients. Very deserving. Yes, congratulations. And thank you for thinking to um, to acknowledge them. This is the perfect opportunity. And yeah, uh, also Tyler Perry. I know I crap on his movies a lot, but I love what he does for the community. So I'd rather have bad films and a generous saint of a human than good films by a terrible mm-hmm. person. So uh, good on you, Tyler He's Perry. He's very talented. He is. He is. I don't like his, his films in general, but I love who he is as a person and all the jobs and opportunities that he creates. So bravo. Like he deserves it. So mm-hmm. now we're going to get into like our first episode. We're going to do our bite-sized rankings. So we're going to quickly go over some of the tech categories or music categories. And then we're going to get into the nitty gritty with our bigger categories where we go more in depth with stuff. So first off, um, James, what does our cinematography category look like? It's It goes pretty much one way. I mean, we all picked Mank except for you picked Nomadland as the winner. So Mank and Nomadland are the pretty much the top choices collectively, which I honestly, I think if either one of them won, I would be happy because Mank was amazing, mainly for the fact that David Fincher effortlessly makes the argument of film versus digital a moot point because he's proven he can make digital look like film, especially with this one. Mm-hmm. And the Nomadland, natural lighting is not the easiest thing to work with, but this does it so beautifully. And she worked with such diverse landscapes and settings and things like that. Oh, yeah. Everything from the you know the jobs that Frances McDormand's character took to just, you know, just even just her being in the van. 
was shot masterfully. Yeah, I was on the Mank train as well because that is like my favorite shot film of the category. But I have a feeling that this could be like one of the big ones that Nomadland takes to secure the best picture spot. So that's why I went with that for my win. For music though, it's going to be short and sweet. Soul all across the board. We all loved it. We all picked the same thing. This is perfect. For original <laughs> score, we're going uh, Soul as our favorite. Soul as the one to win. We don't need to say any more than that. However, Rachel, you're going to have to get into this mess of a result that we <laughs> you have. You mean my absolute freaking favorite category? It's a favorite category, but the results are a mess because this is, believe it or not, the only mm-hmm. one where none of us had the same selection for favorite or for or for the winner. So please dive into, and this is your, your opportunity for your favorite category. Well, I think nobody knows who's winning, really. There's a couple of good candidates, but this is one of those ones where we're really not going to know till the envelope's open. So James picked One Night in Miami as his favorite, and that is a stellar song. It was my second place. And he picked winner for the Trial of the Chicago 7 as the winner. I picked Eurovision Song Contest. I said winner Eurovision Song Contest, which is a very controversial pick, but I'm seeing the levels of popular support. I just really, really think that it's going to be the little movie that could, which absolutely fits its aesthetic. Um, And then Andreas picked Trial of the Chicago 7 as his favorite, which was my least favorite, which is hilarious. And then One Night in (laughs) Miami. So he and James were opposites. Yeah. So we were basically polar opposites. And hey, the way I view it for best popular song... It's either a complete guess or mm-hmm. it's like set in stone. Like it's going to be this film. So yeah. you never know. The fact that there is no secure winner, whether it's One Night in Miami or The Life Ahead, perhaps there could be split votes and there could be. Eurovision's going to jump There in. could be a Eurovision win. So I wouldn't put it past that. I've seen some actual um, profits, like Oscar profits saying Eurovision. So you never know. Um, Don't forget Eurovision has elves on its side. Well, see, like we don't need to get into the elves. <laughs> anyway, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna uh, mm-hmm. lose our Icelandic following. So that you've so generously built, Rachel. So uh, <laughs> I don't, elves are real. They, they, they are kind of. Um, James, what does our costume category look like? The costume is interesting because I picked Emma for both, and. You two picked the same answers, just flipped. So Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Emma. Rachel picked Ma Rainey as the favorite, but Emma is the winner, and yours is the opposite. Which, honestly, out of all the nominees, these two, I would be happy with either one, but these two are the only ones that really warranted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're I mean, both, both really being good. period like, pieces and down to a T. It was just amazing to see. It, movie magic is a is a wonderful thing because, you know, just the detail that goes into these categories is sometimes off the charts. Yeah, it's it's tough. It could very well be the year of Emma. And I love Emma's costumes, actually. I think they're fantastic. But I don't know for sure. I'm still going my Rainey's Black Bottom because I feel like it's going to get a lot of steam for not being Best Picture. It's going to get its love elsewhere for people who feel like it should have been Best Picture. Things are a little bit more straightforward for the production nomination category we've got uh two people rachel and myself selecting mank as our favorite production of the year and the winner for the production but james your favorite and your projected winner is a little bit different it's tenet uh can you tell us why because of the way the story set up fair enough 
oh, the production is almost a character itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's something that literally only Nolan can pull off. I watched this movie. I was like, yep, this is a Nolan movie. But yeah, I just think it's like, you know, like I said, the production is almost a character. Like It is very good. It was like my second. The design of it. Yeah. I mean, the design of it is basically part of the story without giving too much away because that, you know, it's, it's easy enough. to really spoil that movie. I mean, you know, I think Mank was expertly done, but I think the effectiveness Mank could have been shot differently and told the same story. Tenet couldn't. So the, des- the design of this could have been very, you know, Tenet could only be designed, w- designed one way. Mank could have been different depending on when it was made. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, you know, I mean, Finch has been trying to get this movie made for over 20 years, actually longer than 20 That's years. True. He was trying to do it after he did the game, but no one yeah. picked it up because, mm-hmm. you know, his dad wrote the screenplay and then, you know, it just kind of got lost. And then, you know, thankfully Netflix picked it up and he got to finally do it. But yeah, I mean, this could have had many iterations, but, you know, Tenet really just, I don't know, it, just every, just all the nuances of the setting and everything was just amazing. You know, it's, I'm, I'm disappointed that this was, you know, it only got tech nominations because it offered so much more than that. I find it kind of funny that the very modern web streaming service picked up the movie that's based on cinema only classic Hollywood. That's true with uh, with Mank. <laughs> well, that's Man. Finch's relationship with them was pretty much influenced that. I think they'll they'll let him do anything, and he's going to take this opportunity to be like, okay, I'm going to get really creative. I hope so. I hope so. Um, our final bite size category, Rachel. Do you want to get into the makeup and the hairstyling? Sure. So makeup and hairstyling again, another kind of crazy category. So James said Emma and Emma for top pick and winner. I went with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom for both, and then Andres was the only one who was split, and he put Pinocchio as the winner, and then or no, wait, Pinocchio as the top, and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom as the winner. How did you not get nightmares off Pinocchio? I did. That's why it got my my favorite because it. I did. If if the makeup wasn't good, it wouldn't have worked. But it did, and I couldn't sleep for weeks. So it's like that's a good makeup job. I mean, it's got to be if I got nightmares. So um, there you go. Those were our bite size categories. We're now going to list off our the six categories we're going to go in depth for. So they're going to be in order. Documentary feature, international feature film, best original screenplay, lead actress, lead actor, and then why the hell did Hillbilly Elegy make it? No, it's best picture. So <laughs> that's going to be the final one. So let's start off with documentary feature. So since Rachel, you did the last bite size category, James... Please rank your documentary features and let us know what you think is going to win. All righty. So five is the mole agent. It was a better idea than execution, you know, and it, it, yeah. it, it was a little too campy with like certain elements that try to make it like, you know, the whole spy thing, like from the music and just the way that, you know, they communicated. I mean, it was, you know, it did its thing. I mean, I'm glad it only got this. I mean, it could have been worse and got like international nomination, which I would have probably protested. It was a submission. Oh, no, definitely not. From Chile. Yeah. Uh, for my octopus teacher, I will give this man credit for the dedication in the beautiful cinematography, but that is, that's it. It was too long. This could have been a half hour special on the Discovery Channel and it would have been fine. It did not need to be a full feature. It... It's it, we get it, dude. You like this octopus and you're fascinated by it. But get over it. Like, <laughs> hey, that octopus was snubbed in supporting actress. Oh, definitely. Now, three, I put collective. Now, I put it this way because my main issue 
was the runtime. I don't think, and I, I'm having a problem with this with a lot of documentaries. Actually, I have a problem with this with all the documentaries is a lot of these are not justifying their runtimes. Okay, that's fair. And I, th- I think for the style, this could have been more of a new special that was shorter. Because honestly, I would have preferred something this, like the overall story of it and what they're figuring or trying to figure out in, you know, show, I think could have been a segment in a larger piece dealing with issues of this nature and it's also just kind of i put it kind of middle because it's like you know the disparity of the healthcare system and the corruption i'm an american i'm kind of desensitized to that with what goes on over here so it's like it wasn't like an impressive i mean you know journalism like this isn't easy so it's like you know props to them for doing this but yeah it's just like my issue with a lot of these is just runtime i don't think it justified it i think number two is crip camp Mainly because I think this was this was another one. It was a little bit overlong for my taste, but not too much. But it's it it needed to be made flat out. Like th- this is an important piece for sure. You know, it, it definitely detailed, especially it's like you know the nuanced history of the push for the rights of the differently abled people. You know, I didn't I didn't realize you know how in depth it went. Like you know, it's amazing how these you know marginalized people have such deep movements. For equality. Yeah, for sure. You know, and it was also the way it was arranged. You know, you had so many different people telling the story who are still alive to this day. And I think that's important, too, is that, you know, it really wasn't that long ago. It's like, you know, when people say it's like, you know, the civil rights movement really wasn't that long ago. It's just certain people like to think, oh, that was like 300 years ago. Yeah, no. And like, this was like only like 50 years ago. This was like in the 70s. Oh, yeah. And then time was number one because... It just hit all points, especially style wise. And I think it addresses a serious issue with the system in general, you know, and it was very well done. I also like the added touches of the home footage. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, the fact that the fact that someone's that dedicated to just capturing every moment and just, you know, where she is now and everything like that. It just, you know, and it was in black and white. I'm a sucker for black and white features. And it, this one pulled it off very well. But yeah, it just it just hit all marks. And I think it's just it's very timely. And it, it's just it, it's a necessary you know story to be told. I mean, there are plenty of stories like this. And what do you think is going to win? Oh, what I think is going to win? Crip Camp. Okay, that's interesting because that mm-hmm. is to me the possible dark horse because guess who produced it? The Obamas. The Obamas did. And they also produced American Factory, which was the, the film that won last year. So you never know. That could be the upset. So that's not that's not a bad selection, actually. It's the outlier uh, perspective, but it's not. it actually could happen. You never know. My selection is very similar. The mole agent. <sighs> It's such an earnest topic, but like, it felt like I was watching like a not so great Woody Allen film at times. Like, yeah. what's with the what's with the the monotony? What's with the uh, the quirkiness? Like, I get that it's a quirky thing, but it could have just been done better. And it felt like it felt stale. I don't know. I I just don't care for it at all. I I've seen it. Parts of it are cute. Parts of it are very moving, but I don't ever wish to see it again. Which is very bad considering what the topic is and how important it is. Like, you know, the abuse in in old age homes. So I felt like it could have been much better. And some of the focal points were just silly, like, you know, certain relationships and stuff. Uh, Spoiler alert. We're all in agreement that my octopus teacher is good, but overrated. Uh, That's my four as well. Uh, When you brought up that this could have been a short, I don't necessarily agree with the other films, but this one, this one could have been the documentary short to win. Like, if this was half an hour, this would have been amazing. Well, I don't think it was documentary short, though. 
I just said they didn't justify their runtime. There is nothing wrong with cutting something at 80 minutes. Oh, no, of course, of course. But, like, when he said this one in particular could have been a short film. Oh, yeah, that one. That, that could have been the one to win the best uh, documentary short subject is the actual name of the category. But it could have won that. Like, it would have been amazing. It would have been amazing that short. Like, the only person I want to hear rambling over you know, nature footage or like science or like, you know, seeing animals and stuff in this setting. So like in documentary films is Werner Herzog. I don't want to hear yeah. anyone else. Cause like nobody else can do it. Like in the case in point, I loved every time they went underwater, but when it was like a guy speaking too much, it's like, we get it. You bonded, you changed your life. You, you know, you took up exercise, you like whatever the hell happened. Like we get it. I, I, I don't know. Moving on. Also, he kept going on about how he didn't want to interfere with nature and then did just that for an hour and a half. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Speaking of interfering with nature, it's like, you mind, like, not hurting my ears by talking my damn ear off? Anyway, like, <laughs> <laughs> my number three swapped with your number three and two. My number three is Crip Camp, which I think is a very conventional documentary, but a great conventional documentary. It's like a good crowd pleaser, like, not a safe film. I feel like anybody could watch this and be like, wow, I love these stories. I love how it's displayed. I, I feel something, but it keeps going the extra mile where it could have ended at the camp alone. It could have just been about the revolution, but it's both. And it's the aftermath. So it's like the full story. I love it. It's just like, I can't think of anyone who could watch this and hate it or find it boring. My number two is collective, which I wish was fake, but it's not. What a thrilling film. What a nauseating film. I just, I adore it. Uh, I don't know if I ever want to see it again, not because it's not good, but because God, it depresses me so much. Um, my number one is Time. I adore this film. It's actually one of the best documentaries I've seen in ages. I'm currently wrapping up my top 100 documentaries of all time, and I'm, like, actually considering squeaking this in somewhere, like, maybe on the lower end, but, like, I, I think it's that good. I'm like, wow, I adore this documentary. I was forcing myself to not ball my eyes out at the end of it. That's how much it got to me. I adore the way that it was done, what it's saying, just everything meshing together, the, the home video and the, and the contemporary stuff, just what a homogenous, beautiful end result where it's like the past and history of a life questioning the future, just amazing. Um, and I, unfortunately, on that note, I have to say Octopus Teacher is probably going to win. I don't know why. Rachel, what is your list looking like? Okay, so pretty similar to yours. Um, I have the mole agent at number five. I felt its point really meandered and it could have really had a tighter film and a more cohesive point. Um, my octopus teacher, again, I just found everything underwater brilliant and everything that did not involve invertebrates very boring. Sorry to the guy narrating it. You had beautiful footage, but the monologues were too much. I do think it's going to win. And, you know, I was just thinking of this while you guys were talking about it. I wonder if people are just really tired of problems and they just want to be underneath the water with the octopus for a few hours. That is a very good point, actually. They could, that could mm -hmm. actually be it. I never considered it because I was like, why is this doing so well? Because it doesn't pose any problems or discomfort. Yeah, it's resonating with a lot of people. And I think it's an escape literally under the sea. Under the sea. Anyway, yes. Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, don't get Disney on our back. <laughs> I bet nobody under 40 likes this. Oh, no. I, this all, yeah, this but there are a lot the, of Academy vo people. voters in the older group. As we know a little too well that they are, uh, you know, dinosaur voters. But please, uh, uh, next is Crip Camp. 
Yep, Crip Camp is number three, solid all around. Then I went back and forth a lot between Collective and Time. I really like Time, but I put Collective first. I think they took a topic that could have been very dull, lots of bureaucracy, things like that, and they really paced it well. And it almost, like you said, it was thrilling. It was almost a thriller, but a documentary. It reminded me a lot of All the President's Men and Spotlight, also films that could have been very dull, very bogged down in detail, but it kept that energy through, and that's what puts it over the top for me. I'm glad that you, you pointed out those films, because I'm actually a big sucker for films about journalism. Those are two of my favorites. Like, I adore Spotlight, and... Yeah, that's exactly what it felt like. But unfortunately, yeah, it was real. Um, so I'm going to do a quick rundown. We're going to go into our final feature film category. That's not Best Picture. We did animated last time. We all said Soul pretty much for everything. Um, this time, though, we're going to get into the international feature film category. And all five of these were excellent. All five of these were fantastic. Mm -hmm. I hate that I have... This was the best category to me. It's always been my favorite category because this to me is like the most unhinged category where the best of the world could actually be here. The only caveat is that each country can only nominate one film. So there's that, which kind of mm -hmm. sucks. And it's, it's done some damage in the past. But in general, I usually look the most forward to this because if I've seen it, I love it and I want it to do well. If I haven't mm -hmm. seen it, it's usually like a discovery. So like Embrace of the Serpent one year was like, wow, what is this? I love this. I'm glad that I saw this because of its nomination. Um, you know, and the list keeps going. So if it's not that, it's a Tony Erdman where it's like, I love this film. I want it to do well or a separation. So this year we have obviously stuff that was brand new to us and stuff that perhaps we knew of like ahead of time. And it was like, okay, we know it's going to win. So, um, Better Days is my five. It's still an excellent film. Mm -hmm. I feel like the midsection lags a little bit, which is unfortunate because it starts and ends very strongly. I think the lineage between life on the streets as like a thug and, um, you know, being a, a student at school who has to deal with uh, life, um, life changing uh, final exams, especially in China where like that stuff is like very, very, very strict and like, they have like a whole system and I know it's like a whole thing over there where it's um, the stress of taking final exams. Like that's a real thing uh, more so than over here and bridging the two to create this, this unrest of, um, you know, different, different societies that are going on. I think it was very interesting in and in a different way to kind of like showcase the, the stress of the youth of the world. Um, if it wasn't for that midsection, it could have been like maybe even like in the highest ranked of my list for for this category i thought overall it was fantastic uh, my number four here is collective which is unfortunate because it was my two previously that's how stacked this category is still as a film it's fantastic we've talked a lot about it i don't know if i could say anything else about it i love it um my number three is the man who sold the skin which i think as a satire is just so imaginative and so like savage almost like it doesn't hold back what it wants to say but at the same time it balances its tone not by being comedic or light at all but by having gorgeous cinematography so you feel like you're watching art while you're being while you're seeing like a criticism of art and also like a scathing commentary on how on how refugees are treated and exploited stunning film i can't recommend it enough once it's finally out my number two is the film that, that I think is going to win. It's another round. 
Thomas, uh, how do you pronounce it? Vinterberry? Vinterberry. Pronounce it like that, yes. Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fan of his in general. I especially love The Hunt, like I guess most people on Earth who have seen it. Um, this is no different. This is an excellent film that blends genre, blends mood, blends style. It just has like its own singular sensation that only a guy like uh, that guy, Vinterberry, <laughs> uh, could, could pull off. And I think it's fantastic. My number one, though... And I'm not even going to attempt saying her name because I, I can't pronounce um... Aida. Oh no, I know I know Aida, but like the the director's name, the filmmaker's name, um, um... I cannot pronounce the language is Bosnian. Yes, I cannot pronounce a lick of that, so I won't try. But Covetus um, uh, Aida is wow, what a film! I can't recommend it enough. When I first started watching it, I felt like okay, this is good, but where is it going? It got going. And by the time it finished, I was like shaking in my chair to the point where when I revisited it, that opening part that I was questionable about, not at all, not anymore. The second viewing, all of it is is so solid because now so much of the film plays with the idea of information. So the more you know, the more you realize like the damnation of the situation. And when you revisit it with the information that you now know, like how it ends, it's just devastating. The entire watch is just devastating. What a powerful film. I feel like it's going to be one of those ones that generates steam over time. I can't recommend Quo Vidis Aida enough. Like, beautiful, punishing, devastating film. Um, and obviously, I've got another round selected to win. Rachel, what does your list look like? So, very similar to yours. I know I've said that a lot. Uh, Better Days is number five, and like you, I thought it started off very strong, had a lot of good elements, just didn't hold up all the way. The pacing was a bit off. Collective, number four, very solid, just tough category. Same with number three, which was another round. Um, it's probably going to win, especially with the attention I got in director. I just, it wasn't my favorite, but I understand how good it was. And then The Man Who Sold His Skin, I loved its dark tone and the unfairness of the immigration system. Very, very solid, and I'm really glad we got that screener. And then Quo Vadis Aida is my top. Um, I think, actually, I'm going to say it, it was my favorite film of the whole year. Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to remember it for a very long time and view it many more times. I actually had it in my top five yeah. for the year as well. So I like that it didn't take the easy way. Oh, God, no. Everything just didn't. got harder and harder, the whole movie. And it didn't, it showed the brutality and it did not wimp out at all. No, it just, it, it stuck to its guns and just mm-hmm. went all, like, I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it. That, that shot near the end. I still remember I it so mean. vividly because, like, oh, God, like, that's going to haunt me for the rest of my life. One thing, I'm sorry the lead actress wasn't nominated. I know, that could have been a great one. Like, if this had, like, the attention that another round did, perhaps it would have had mm-hmm. more for, like, its cinematography, its music, its editing, uh, best actress, best director. Um, this is certainly a fantastic film. This reminds me a lot of, like, like an Ensemble by Villeneuve or... You know, similarly, like, punishing films like that. Just an incredible international cinema. Uh, James, uh, what does your list look like? Does it, is it similar or is it way off? Nothing like your guys's. Okay, so it's very different. Oh, yeah, this, this is going to be great. So my five was collective, primarily on style and the runtime. I mean, like I said, had this been a little bit of a different style or a segment and in a bigger piece on probably other types of corruption that goes along in the world or that country, 
But I mean, not to discredit it though, it definitely did its thing. And it's so I think it's, you know, once again, these categories are getting really hard to rank when everything is really solid. Uh, number four, I put Quo Varasaida primarily because it was, it, it was, it was conventional. It was effective, but it really didn't resonate with me too much because of how conventional it was. Really? I didn't feel like it was conventional at all. I think it's just, I think conventional in the type of story it is. Okay. Because it, it's like, we, we've seen many films like this that deal with this, you know, type of more historical events. Okay. I will say though, the amount of extras they had in that, that is really impressive that they oh, had yeah. that many people <laughs> in this movie and like did it very well. I mean, it, it was still great. It's like, like I said, it's, you know, it, it's mostly for personal reasons why I rank these. It's like objectively, it, it was great and they pulled it off and you know obviously you know the lead actress she did a phenomenal job and you know it has kind of a sad ending which yeah it's the harsh reality of what really actually happened in things like this is just brutal three i put another round it's like it's hard it's i i like it but i you know some of my top picks it it's one of those things where how often will i would i possibly repeat watching this film Mm-hmm. This is one I will revisit, but you know, it, I, I think it, you know, it did its thing. And yeah, I mean, like I said, I want Mads Mikkelsen to dance in everything now, <laughs> specifically jazz ballet, because you know, I looked it up. I didn't realize that he was a gymnast and a dancer prior oh, to being yeah. an actor. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. I want a musical with him and Leslie Odom Jr. Oh, that would be amazing. They can be like best buddies or something. <laughs> that, that would be a Hollywood. Get in on that. You're, you're running out of ideas. Here's a good one. So, so why is better days? Number two. Better Days is number two because I think the intention, the performances, and certain technical aspects make up for the the little bit of muddiness that kind of happens towards the middle. It's true. It's aesthetically, it's fantastic. Asian film just wins for aesthetics with me. It's why I'm surprised you didn't check out Wong Kar Wai sooner. Like he's like the most aesthetic filmmaker of of all time, arguably of, of Asian cinema. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like it's hard to. I just have to like sit down and like okay, I gotta watch this person. Like it's always been on my list, but it just never got around to it. Also, I th- think just I really enjoy movies that take on the subjects of teenagers and how they go through life because. It's another example of they don't understand the weight of their own mortality mm-hmm. until something bad happens. Like the like the numerous points where the, the girls keep bullying people, they're getting in trouble for it. But, you know, it really takes for them to like, hey, this is your last chance or things are really going to get bad for you to where they have to, you know, like plead and beg like, hey, hold on, help me out real quick. You know, it's like it, it's almost like they have the logic of, oh, we're kids being kids when it's like, no, what you're doing is very dangerous. Yeah. And they like compare it to like what happens with like street gangs and stuff, which isn't that far off. Like the, you know, the hostile mentality, the, uh, you know, like the the lack of care of somebody else's well-being. I mean, that's, that is all there. So now we know your number one is the man who sold his skin. Yes. This film was amazing. Mm-hmm. It, it had the same effect that Parasite had on me. And, and it's in a similar vein. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. It was very well written. I mean, the acting was great. The premise is, you know, you know, I would have never thought a story like this could be conceived. You know, it, it just you know threw me for a loop because I was like, oh, OK, let's see what this is about. Once it actually kicked into gear, I was like. Oh my god, this is genius! And then and it doesn't light up. Yeah, it doesn't let up, and then it it gives one of the best twist endings I've seen. 
Cause I did not see that coming. <laughs> Shocking. Like I, I like leapt out of my chair. I was like, Oh my goodness. Uh, mm-hmm. I was like, no way. I, I wanted this to be nominated for best picture, to be honest, <laughs> but it didn't get a wide release. The more familiar you get with the Oscars, the more you realize that that parasite is certainly an anomaly. So <laughs> unfortunately, that's what happened. Yeah, I kind of already understand that. I say man of who soda sin is going to win. Yeah. I actually think it's going to really? win. Yeah. Well, I hope you're right. I've heard some people think that through vote splitting, <sighs> that's a possibility. You never know. But who's seen it? The Academy. Uh, well, okay. They're supposed Not to have they seen it. Watch. Exactly. They're supposed to have seen it. That's that's <laughs> a different topic. So, oh yeah. Uh, but um speaking of things that they probably did see, hopefully, because if they aren't look, just invite us, Academy. We could be your Academy. We've seen everything. So um Rachel, hopefully the Academy has seen all of the five nominees for Best Original Screenplay. Right. So for number five, I picked Judas and the Black Messiah. Nothing wrong with the screenplay. I just didn't think anything made it particularly stand out for me. Minari number four, very solid, very good all around. Twilight of the Chicago 7, very clever. The ending was kind of eh, but I think there was a lot of great wordplay and a lot of good character moments. Promising Young Woman was number two for me. Um, I love the premise. I love the concept. I do think it's going to win because it's been getting some precursors recently and I just have this hunch. I think Sound of Metal was number one for me because it combined concept and character very effectively. Really? Because I actually have Sound of Metal as my as my five. So I'd like to I'd like to learn a little bit more about that. Can you uh, persuade me into thinking that I'm, I'm I'm dead wrong about this? I think that part of a screenplay isn't just words. It isn't just dialogue. It's also making sure all the elements of the story come together. And Sound of Metal was the one that incorporated story beyond words and managed to communicate across different media within the same film, if that makes sense. It does. I feel like I had some narrative gaps that I wasn't fond of, but I I don't know if I feel right saying them because I don't want to ruin your number one pick if you like see eye to eye because you can always disagree. But if I take that chance and I say them, you could agree and then be like, oh, that's not my number one anymore and I don't want to do that. So... No, it still it still really resonated with me, so I'm comfortable with you going after it. Okay, I'll do that when I when I go into mine. Uh, who, what's your um, what's your winner though? Promising young woman again, the hunch. Cool. Okay, so I wasn't sure with, with by hunch you meant that like uh, it was like actually mm-hmm. gonna snag it, but okay, yeah, actually it could. With the amount of steam that Chicago 7 has lost, it could easily win. So Yeah, and you've been saying all along that most Best Picture nominees get something, and I think Promising Young Woman, now that it's lost a bit of ranking in Actress, might get that. Yeah, and, and Chicago 7 could get editing instead. I don't know. It could get something else. It, it was probably going to get this, but it's not certainly going to get this. Uh, James, how do you feel? What is What does your ranking look like? My ranking, I actually had Sound of Metal at number five. Okay. Because I think it was overall movie. It was great. I just think the screenplay by itself is, it's interchange. All those words are interchangeable. You could have done anything and it would have been effective because the premise doesn't have to do with dialogue. I still think the dialogue is pretty strong myself. Oh, no, it, other it's, it's not to say that it isn't. It's, it's just, I think compared to the others, it's like, this isn't designed the screenplay isn't designed for you to like understand as a screenplay, especially when you know a lot of the dialogue isn't really spoken. Oh, that's fair. What's your number four? My number four is Judas and the Black Messiah. While it was a good movie, it just seemed kind of paint by numbers. Like everything that was said, I expected. And you can only have so much creative liberty with something like this situation. 
you know, I thought it was delivered very well, though. I thought everybody, you know, did really well with it. Three Minari, because it's primarily if you, if you just separate the screenplay, it reads well, but it, you, you have to see it in order yeah, to really, th- that's fair, really catch the weight. Promising when young woman is number two, because again, that was a very, it's a very smart screenplay. Like you don't, you don't get, you don't get screenplays like that too often, especially from, you know, especially with the type of film this is, you know, you don't really see films that take on this subject matter in the way it does. In a weird way, it reminded me of get out in that it's sort of a puzzle of a screenplay and it fits together. Yeah. I've actually said that before because also it's both of their debuts. They both have social issues and get out. It's uh, systemic racism. And here it's this, it's systemic misogyny. Um, They both have this, the satire genre bending, thrilling aspect. They're both very similar. It's almost too smart to be a debut. Uh, yeah, they both are. This doesn't play like a debut as in the traditional sense. And then my number one is Trial of Chicago 7. Like it's it's an Aaron Sorkin screenplay. I will always put him above all. It's like, you know, even stuff that just seems like would be just overdrawn in a conversation. He pulls it off so well. It's like his word salads are word gardens. <laughs> <laughs> I like that quote. That that's been recorded, folks. It's there for the internet to hear forever. <laughs> also, it's you know, it, it, with the screenplays, they fi- they find the perfect actors to deliver them. Yeah, you know, you have to deliver it a certain way, and it's like they always get the right actors for it. And that 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 I think that's what really helps with these stories that he tries to tell in anything he writes. And what do you think is going to win? Oh, I, I think it's going to win too. You think it's going to win? But that's okay. just me being that. That's just me being an Aaron Sorkin fanboy. Oh, that's fair. I mean, the Academy is also, even though he's only won once, they're also a fanboy of his. So this is going to be very strange because we're all over the place with our rankings. We are, but we aren't. So my number five is Sound of Metal, which was your your one, Rachel. I love the dialogue. I love the opening act and the second act writing-wise. I feel like narratively the third act falls apart. So like... Oh, I don't know how to say anything without spoiling because it's like at the end too. There's a lot of like narrative convenience. Um, there's holes like Ruben getting by for so long without an income. I don't want to say too much without spoiling, but there are things that just didn't add up to me. And it's like the rest of the film was so meticulously crafted. Why was this not? You could have had like a scene. Him working in a laundromat, something. You could have had like a scene or two, but that's where it falters, and it bothers me so See, much. See, I saw that as narrative economy, which it could be. Yeah, that, that's like, okay. So I, I haven't ruined it for you then. No, no, I think we just saw it differently. Okay, good. I'm so glad then because I don't like ruining pe- things that people like. So. You see it as like, yeah, it being conservative with how it wants to tell its story, which is perfect. I, I saw the problems. I saw the problems that I felt that it had, but you saw it as it being precise with what I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair. Um, I'm glad that I haven't ruined it for you then, because I don't like I don't like being that guy. So I was feeling really bad. Um, also, my rankings from when I first did this are going to look a little different because again, that was like a month ago at this point. So now my number four is going to be uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7, which I still think is a great screenplay. Um, I feel like, you know, the dialogue is, is on point, as it always is with Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, I, I don't have much to say complaint-wise or positive-wise. I think it's just very solid. 
My number three is going to be Minari, so that's different than before. I don't agree fully with what you're saying, James, but at the same time, you are correct that the the words are one thing, but like the visual experience, the aesthetic experience, the music is another thing. The screenplay is fantastic. I think it's excellent. I'm glad that it got recognized, but I'm feeling a little bit better about my number two. I guess this is like my Vinterberg moment. My number two is Promising Young Woman. Mm -hmm. So uh, that means that your five was my one. (laughs) Judas and the Black Messiah was my one. That's fascinating. What made it stand out for you? Uh, James, when you were saying that there aren't enough creative liberties to have with a true story, I feel like that this is where it, it actually shone the most because this could have been a by the numbers biopic where it's like, we're going to do this. This is how we lived. This is my relationship with Fred Hampton. This is what happened to me. They turned it into a thriller. And if you didn't know any better, this could have like not been a true story, which sadly it is a true story, but I feel like the dialogue was, was exceptional. I feel like the pacing and the amount of information you get from each scene, the revelations, the, the cat and mouse game, I felt like so much of it was so sharp. And it's it's unfortunate because like everybody else thinks this is like the weakest one, not just you, but like in general, like a gold derby and stuff. Everybody thinks this is the weakest one, the least chance of winning, which it is. It's not going to win, but I love it the most. So I guess I'm going to use this opportunity to say what my new projected winner is going to be. And I'm in agreement with Rachel. I feel like Promising Young Woman, if it's not going for Best Actress, which it probably won't now, this is where it's generated its steam. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have said that a week ago. And I don't think you would have I either. Know. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have. Like, this skyrocketed for me. And this is why the award season is so weird. Um, first off, you know, without the award season in mind, this is a damn good screenplay. Now that I've seen it more than once, the the revelations that happen when they happen, like the information you get when you get it, and it builds the story um, just so cleverly, the twists, the turns, the concept alone is fantastic. The dialogue is so sharp. It avoids cliche. Yeah, it avoids cliche, but it, the, the dialogue is also just, it doesn't give zero cares about who's, who's watching. It, doesn't hold back any of the criticisms of society that it has. And I love that. I think it's going to win at this point. Um, it's like I said before, you know, my, my number one pick is the, that's the objective one, but you know, if promising young woman wins, I would be more than happy. Oh, it's, it's brilliant. And like for a debut as well, I hope she get that. This is why as much as I want Carrie Mulligan to win, cause she deserves an Oscar as well. If this is going to get one, I hope it's Emerald Fennel getting something. It's not going to be for director, so I hope it's this. Yeah, she did a phenomenal job, and I've been a fan of her since Called the Midwife, and I'm so pleased to see her doing so well now. And speaking of women doing well, we are now getting into the Best Actress category. and Oh, you mean the Hunger Games? Oh, this... <laughs> okay, this category... <laughs> I don't know what this is going to look like. Um, we won't know till that envelope God. is open, dude. This one, this one, I thought that we would have like some sort of semblance and I have like a vague idea, but damn, this, this could, we could look like geniuses or we could look like complete idiots by our predictions right now. So James, why don't you lead the way? Cause like, this is, this is the toughest one by far the toughest one to predict still. I picked for number five. I don't know if I'm is it Andre Day? Is that how you pronounce oh, your name? Andre Day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For the United States versus Billie Holiday. 
Mainly because that movie was so try-hard, it's hard to enjoy the performance. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, was a, it was a terrible film without her. And the sad thing is, so much talent went into it. I know. Like, I don't think Lee Daniels is a bad filmmaker, but that's a bad film by a good filmmaker. Yeah, I just didn't really... Yeah. Number four... I picked... <laughs> that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, I picked Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman because... I think if it was a different lineup, I think she would be a front runner. But for this, it, it, it was she was effective. But it's like it's it's hard to pick in these categories when everyone's so strong, though. That's the mm-hmm. problem. And then number three, I pick Viola Davis. Again, it's just it's really hard to pick. But her, she did exactly what she needed to do. She's a great actress in general, but it's hard to be disappointed with her. Like she does yeah. exactly what the role needs, especially this one, because Ma Rainey was quite a character in this movie. Uh, my number two is Carrie Mulligan. Okay. Mm-hmm. If Denzel Washington were a white woman, it would be Carrie Mulligan. In what Can way? you explain that? You know how Denzel does this effortless switch from being gentle to being hardcore, but like oh, yeah. very like bounce hardcore or something. Yeah, so okay. yeah. Okay. it's like he has just he just has this switch that he put, and you see it in all these other roles. It's like you know. He can be the, you know, most inviting person in the world and then instantly flip at the drop of a dime. And that's what I thought this was, not just because that's what the character does, but the way she does it. And just, you know, you would think that this wasn't acting, that she is really like this. And it was just so effortless. And that, yeah, I'm really excited to see what she does after, because I think this is going to be opening some doors for her in ways that other films probably wouldn't. I hope so. And then Frances McDormand in Nomadland as my pick and my pick for the winner because she is by far one of the greatest actresses out of, I think, any generation yeah. of film. It was like when she was nominated for three billboards, I was like, why bother nominating anybody else? Like, it's almost unfair. And I think it's her versatility. She can literally play anything. But yeah, I, I think it's like when you start in numerous films by and married to a Coen brother, you almost, I almost expect that. Like, <laughs> you know, you never know what you're going to get. And she just did it so effortlessly. And, you know, taking on this character who's a nomad, that's not really an easy thing to do. So the fact that she did it like this, you know, it, it was just very resonating. And, you know, it almost intensifies the empathy you have for people in these situations. Yeah, which I think is ideal casting. And yeah, I hate that I'm going to have to start. Oh, wait. Oh, and you said, okay, you said uh, she's going to win. I hate that I have to start my list with her. That's how stacked I think this category is. Frances McDormand, for the record, like she is my Meryl Streep, where it's like when people talk about Meryl, this is this is what I envision. This person could that can do anything. And I hate that I have to have her last, but I'll explain. Her performance is so sublime. It's so real. It's so effortless. It's so textured. And it's exactly what the film called for. I just think when pitting it up against like these other people, it's so tough. So that makes me even sadder to have like Viola Davis fourth, who I also think is a brilliant actress and did exactly what this role called for. I think something's going against her uh, for my personal subjectivity for this ranking is like, you know, the fact that the the role is a lot shorter than you'd expect, even though she steals every scene. Um, This is another day in the office for Philo Davis, where it's like, we're not seeing anything completely different outside of like maybe the musical side. Um, But she kills it every time. So when it comes to the other three, it's, I think it's more me being caught off guard or like introduced to somebody like my number three, who's Vanessa Kirby, who, 
I think deserves this spot just for the opening 25 minute scene alone when she's giving birth. That is some commitment and crazy amounts of acting. That alone is like, wow, she deserved to be nominated. And and keep in mind, she's never gone through that experience herself. So when she made that movie, it was entirely off of study and research. Which, obviously, there was a lot of dedication because it was like every single little step. It wasn't like the generic, I'm giving a baby or having a baby type thing that you see in a lot of movies. This was like precise. So uh, when it comes to like all of the, the, the moments of grief... I feel like she could have even been a front runner had the film been even better and maybe not stymied her outside of that one scene. Like maybe better editing or, um, you know, a tighter story. Because I feel like she kills every single scene that she does. I feel like if this was like differently edited, she could have actually been a front runner. That's how strong I feel about her performance. I think she's great overall. And I hope that we see her again in such a category. But number two is Andre Day, which speaking of films doing a disservice, uh, like... What a, what a, uh, I, I liked like maybe two scenes, but I could tell you this. I loved Andre Day as Billie Holiday, the entire picture for the United States versus Billie Holiday. I think if this was anybody else, this could have actually been close to a zero out of five for me, like a 0.5 out of five. It would have been unbearable. But Andre Day is that good that, and she's also not an actress. She's a singer first. So that is, that is some crazy amount of professionalism here where she's saving the entire picture from people who are actually in the industry. So, I mean, her performance is, you know, on a singing level is fantastic as a, as a chameleon-esque performance is fantastic is, you know, on an emotional level, it's fantastic. She's just done everything perfectly in this film. So my number one is Carrie Mulligan, and I, I agree with you, James. I feel like uh, Carrie Mulligan's ability to change emotions at the top at the drop of a hat is amazing. I feel like she's so convincing in every little thing that she does. She's charming, yet you could tell that she's like, you know, kind of like off center and like can like snap it at any second. Um, I feel like she's like the perfect person who could who could have uh, piloted this ship, this amazing ship that Emerald Fennel created. I don't think it's as easy as people think, and I wish she was the front runner still for this. But I feel like <sighs> I could be wrong. I think a SAG award and a Golden Globe are enough. I think it's going to be Viola Davis winning her second Oscar, which I have. Even though she's my fourth, I have zero problems with. I'm happy with any of these women winning because they were all fantastic. Rachel, do you have a similar ranking or is yours way off? Yeah, uh, mine's fairly different. So I put Andre Day as number five. She was excellent. To me, this movie is an example of how a bad screenplay can drag everybody else down. Mm-hmm. So I just felt she really didn't have as much to work with as the rest of them. And even though she really did a phenomenal job, it just... And when you have to pick a category as tough as this, you've got to get really picky. So then number four, I had Frances McDormand for Nomadland. And I think, again, she the movie wasn't so much about... It was the whole picture. It wasn't as much about her, too. Right. Like you said about Viola Davis's day at the office, I think that's the case for Frances McDormand. She was giving an excellent Frances McDormand performance. Exactly. And then for Kirby... Um, I put her as number three. Again, the opening sequence was a huge step of that, but also after. I felt she portrayed grief very, very accurately and in a very raw way, and it felt authentic to me. Number two was Viola Davis. Um, I just think she was excellent. She conveyed all the pain, all the rage of Ma Rainey, who, by the way, was a real person for anybody who didn't know that. Yes. And she just was stellar. She gave us this complex woman and... 
felt real. She gave her the breath of life. Carrie Mulligan is number one. Again, she had to move back and forth very quickly between very different pulls. She had to enact some very difficult scenes, and I think she carried this movie on her shoulders. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. And uh, do you think she's going to win? I think that McDormand, Davis, and Mulligan should have speeches in their pockets. Okay. Not Andre Day, who got the Golden Globe? No. I think the movie is just going to drag her down, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, I think McDormand was the one I picked to win. But I think it's also very hard to pull off a third Oscar, and that might turn some people off. Davis has a lot of support. Davis is very well-liked. She's a stellar, stellar actress. I see no reason why she wouldn't win, except I think it also takes a lot to have Best Actor and Best Actress from the same movie, which we'll get to in a minute. Yes. And Mulligan's never won, so I think that still puts her in the game, but I would put her as the third highest chance of winning. That's fair. Also, I want to make a clarification. I believe I said Davis got the Golden Globe. She didn't. That was Andre Day. So my apologies. That is, uh, I, I should be kicked from Master of Ceremonies. So I guess I'm leaving. Goodbye, guys. But um, you'll be in your trailer. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, my movie trailer. Um, okay, so uh, jokes aside, we're gonna leap into the best actor category, which uh, we prefaced a little bit by talking about Marini's Black Bottom. So, oh, good God, what a what a tight category. You know what it's a tough. I know. It's it's tough when you have Gary Oldman as Mank, you know, Mankovitz as last. I think, yeah, this is another day at the office for Gary Oldman, although I do love that all of his 2000 stuff is a lot more natural and, and nuanced than his more eccentric. Um, and there's nothing wrong with this. His, his livelier um, uh, 80s and 90s stuff, which is like a completely different animal. I feel like he's just entered like a new phase of his life for the last 20 years. And this is one of his finest examples of that. And I think he does a fantastic job being compelling, but not having to be theatrical the entire time. Like he's, he just commands by just reading a newspaper. Like, I don't know how he does it. He's incredible. Well, he does have that 30s theatrical vibe down though. He, he really does. He does. He does. But he's not like, trying to put it on, you know, like it's just so mm-hmm. natural at this point. Um, Steven Yun is, is my number four. What a, a similarly, what a natural performance where you, you could just like embody like a guardian of your own in this performance where it's like, you know, him having to be, you know, somebody who, who disciplines his child or tries to connect by, by playing games or try to give them a promising future, but you're struggling with like this job that you hate. Um, to me, I saw a guardian that raised me and me having to be an adult facing this world on my own and being like, I'm as ready for this as my child is. I don't know what I'm doing. And he he embodied that amazingly. I hope for an amazing series of films to come in Stephen Ewan's filmography. I, I, I hope for promising things. My number three... Oh, this is tough. Uh, my number three is Anthony Hopkins and the father who my number three had me borderline bawling at the end. Jeez. This is one of his finest, finest performances since, uh, since science of the lambs. I, I, I sincerely mean that it's, it's one of his best performances ever. I think what, a what a moving performance that just, you could just read on his face, all of his reactions to things that he thinks are happening or his realizations, it's just what oh I, I don't know what else to say because I might actually start to get emotional. Um, and that's only my three. My number two might actually get me emotional. 
Chadwick Boseman, who we oh, lost yeah. way too early. We lost him way too early. Um, this film in particular, uh, James and I have a mutual friend named John. He compared this to David Lloyd's Black Star, where he basically said he knew he was going to die. And he knew exactly what he wanted to say and how he wanted to say it. And just a lot of the delivery in this film, like, first off, it's his best performance. It is his best performance. It, it just is. And he has some very difficult conversations where it sounds like he's actually, like, struggling with himself in this film, having these conversations. And what this is what it looks like to put everything on the line. And it's just, it's just incredible. It's just, an, I don't know what else to say. I don't want to get emotional. Um, my number one, though, is Riz Ahmed, who I feel like, and this could be a hyperbole, but I honestly feel this way. I feel like he's borderline Brando-esque in his performances, where he just embodies the, the smallest details better than most actors I could think of right now. And Sound of Metal is a fantastic example of this. Um you know, his, his, his scene stealing parts where he's like, you know, having tantrums or he's getting emotional. That's one thing. But like, even just, just how he like, how he plays drums and it's just like such a signature style or like how he, how he commands his character to be like this type of like a rock star when in real life he's like, he's like a rapper. He's like a, he's like a hip hop legend over in England. Like, but here he's like, he's like, he is a rock star and I can't think of him as anything else. Like he is Ruben so, so through and through. And I feel like even all the small little details, like his, the small reactions to things, the way his eyes quiver, the way, he, you know, he smirks, every little thing is just so, so nuanced. But I think for good reason and for the right reasons, honorary or because of talent alone, this is going to be Chadwick Boseman's, and he, he fully deserved it. You know, Mary, rest in peace. Uh, I don't know what else to say. Um, Rachel, what about you? Okay, so like you, I put Gary Oldman at number five. I thought he did a fabulous job. He made uh, Mankiewicz larger than life, and you understood why he was the toast of Hollywood, but also a giant failure in some points. And yeah, he did a great job. Stephen Yun, I think, had a very hard tightrope to walk, and he did it quite well. As the provider of this family who's facing all his fears, but yet has all this optimism, it was really carried off very strongly without tipping one way or the other too much. I put Rizak Ned at number three. I thought he did a wonderful job of conveying all the changes that he went through. It's just this category was so tough. I know. This was tough. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, it was his best performance. That's what I'm going by. I think it was his best performance of his Ever. career so far. Really? He broke my heart. I cried. He was wonderful. Okay, so Chadwick Boseman is number one, and now I am crying. Because <laughs> he had this unbelievable energy. The character Levy was the character's name, right? I think so, yeah. He was utterly alive. He was the light of every scene he was in. He commanded it in the same way that Daniel Kaluuya did for his role. You focused on him when he was on screen. And he had all these dreams. And it was just this character that came out to you fully realized. And Bozeman just pulled it off spectacularly. That energy will always be what comes to mind. And that's what put me over Anthony Hopkins for him. Yeah, this this was certainly like the swan song of swan songs and 
Anyway, yeah. uh, let's let's get on through this category quickly because we're all going to be a mess, James. <laughs> I'm just going to say, though, Bozeman's going to win, but I think I've heard some buzz about Ahmed recently. I think it's like a 1% chance, but if anybody were to unseat Bozeman, it would be him. However, yeah. I think that's very unlikely. Yeah, because of all of like the indie awards that, that Rizzo yep. Ned's gotten. So, but I don't think that's going to affect anything. I mean, if mm-hmm. you look at the Globes, the BAFTA, the BAFTAs gave it. Oh, no, the BAFTAs gave it to Hopkins, I think. Did they? Yeah, I don't remember. I think so, yeah. Anyway, There's too many precursors. I know, I know. Uh, James, <laughs> uh, James, who has like zero, zero care for precursors, how does your ranking look? So if you thought I flipped categories on their head, wait till you hear my ranking. Oh, goodness. So <laughs> okay. I have Riz Ahmed as number five. Whoa, interesting. okay, okay. <laughs> this is why. While he did great. My list is really interesting, but I, I have specific reasons for it. This is a role... While it warrants the praise, I think the character itself is one of those characters is like an angsty everyman where I feel like they could have easily cast Pete Davidson in this role and it would have been fine. Oh, no. Hey, come on. (laughs) No, I I I don't know about that. I, I, I might have to vehemently disagree, but that's okay. This is not good. I mean, that's not to say it, but like I said, it's like my reasons aren't necessarily. Yeah, all my reasons are very strange. So let's move on. Let's move on to number four. Chadwick Boseman. Oh, sure. Okay. This is why. This role, this kind of character, this role and this performance is a breakout performance. The thing that hinders it is the roles he got previously. Like, honestly, I think this this is the kind of thing he should have gotten to start. Yes. But, you know, previous, it's like, you know, he played Jackie Robinson, James Brown and Black Panther. Yeah. I think I think it's the timing of it. And I'm just speaking objectively because he was great. It's Chadwick Boseman. I mean, you know. We'll never have another like him. So it's my reasons are more objective reasons. And I'm I'm kind of like basing it on like other factors that aren't necessarily performance because I, I'm kind of I'm kind of getting political like the Oscars gets. Well, you're probably trying to find ways to separate like a fairy tale category is what this is. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, yeah. And once again, it's impossible to rank a lot of these people because of how well they did and who they are. You yeah. know, three, I'd say Anthony Hopkins because. What? Oh, my goodness. OK. <laughs> I say three Anthony Hopkins because it's what I expect of Anthony Hopkins. And it works. Yeah. I will say that I uh, there's this something I appreciate about aging actors when they start taking on the roles of the aged people. Now, two, I put Gary Oldman, and this is why a day at the office was necessary for this role. That makes okay. sense. Because you got to think about it. Because doing research into Mank, he's basically been a has-been the whole time. Yeah. Okay. If you look at who he is, like even it, it just seems like he's probably just been a has been his entire career since before he even started his career. And I think that that's what he pulled off in this. It's like we needed a day at the office because this was a day at the office. He just happened to make the you know what he considers the best thing he ever written. That's that's an interesting angle, actually. And then I I got to give Stephen Yoon number one because I think this was the role where we actually people will actually start to take him seriously now. Because up Hopefully. until then, you know, it was like he comes from The Walking Dead. It's there were you know, so many zombie jokes about Minari. <laughs> thank God I've not seen a single one, and I hope to never see them. And we caught we caught a glimpse in Sorry to Bother You because you know he had a minor role, and it, it was right. just one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, it's the dude from The Walking Dead. But this is the one, you know, it's you know he's trying to do what's best for his family, but it's also not the best thing for his family at the same time because he you know he's letting his dream kind of stifle the life they could have. But I think Riz Ahmed's going to win. Even though he's five. Even though he's number five. Like I said, okay. it, it, and, it's, and it's because it's the weight of the role and how he pulled it off. Okay, fair enough. So I think from an objective standpoint, this is the obvious pick. 
if not Chadwick Boseman. I mean, Chadwick Boseman, I think, should probably get it because, I mean, you know, he's one of the greatest actors of our time or was. But I think Riz Ahmed, especially just given the praise he's already getting and the stuff he's already gotten, it's, it seems like it's it's only natural that he gets the award. Okay, interesting. You were speaking of, you know, the obvious pick or whatever. Speaking of which, let's select the obvious pick. It's time for Best Picture. Now, you're going to have to bear with us. There are eight nominees. So let's start off with Rachel in, in order from, from worst to best. What's your selection for, for Best Picture out of these, which I consider one of the strongest pools we've had in years? Oh, yeah. I redid this ranking many times, just like other categories. Tough, tough year. And considering, I gotta say, considering all the upheaval the last year, I'm shocked that they pulled off so many strong movies. I know. Yeah. Um, so number eight is Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, I liked it. I think the ending was pretty weak. That was pretty much what killed it for me. Um, Judas and the Black Messiah. Again, I saw this towards the end of my Oscar marathon, so maybe I was a little bit tired. It was good. I respect it. It just didn't click. Sound of Metal I thought was really good. Um, it was, you know, good example, but um, I put it as solid number six. Mank, I think, had very... Okay, so there's a bit of a jump between Sound of Metal and Mank. I thought Mank was very strong technically across the boards. It's a deserving nominee, a solid nominee, just not number one for me. And Minari's the same. Promising Young Woman, I think, also takes another level. It just really did some very risky things and pulled it off very well. I think Nomadland is, like you said, 99% going to win. It's almost certain. Did a great job telling this setting the atmosphere of this universe that I think many people are not aware of. And it was gorgeous. It was fun to follow. The Father is number one for me, and that might be controversial. I don't see anything wrong with that at all. Please explain, though. Like I said with Anthony Hopkins, it's heartbreaking. It tells a very common life story that's overlooked. And the way it plays with time, the way it portrays the disruption of Alzheimer's or dementia, it really took a unique perspective on it for me. And it had phenomenal acting, and I think it was the best picture of these nominees. It really is so much better than I think anybody who hasn't seen it is giving it credit for. Like, mm -hmm. if you haven't seen The Father, please, if you think it's some straightforward British drama, you could not be further from the truth. It's it's a gorgeous, heartbreaking film. Uh, James, what does your selection look like? All righty, this is going to be fun. So, put Side of Metal at 8. Primarily, I'm basing a lot of these on replay, replay value. But also, I don't think it's necessarily, considering what he's been winning, I don't think this is necessarily best picture. But I would say this probably could have been a contender for Palme d'Or. Interesting. Now, it sounds really awkward, but I think it has, it just has one of those, it has the intention and it has the kind of progression towards the ending that a lot of those kind of winners have. That's actually, yeah. It has one of those endings, like, and I, and I figured out because I remembered it. You know, I've always said that a palm door has a specific ending, and it has this ending. And what it is is, you're always curious what the next frame is going to be once it hits black. Yeah, which that is that it certainly ends ambiguously. So, but yeah, I mean, I thought it was pulled off, but you know, once again, it's like you know, all these nominees. It's really hard to pick anything above anybody else. I just liked that I watched all of them, to be honest. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Seven is the father. And I say that because I only need to see it once. Because once once it ties together at the end, it's like, oh, okay. 
and it was great but it's one of those things it's like i i don't foresee myself watching it again i might watch it to show somebody this is a film that you this is a film i'd want to see a reaction to yeah because you think yeah, it's one thing but then it's it, at the end it's like oh this is actually very practical six judas and the black messiah because while i thought it was good it just wasn't one of my favorites and i just have a really weird issue with certain topics in these award seasons, like certain movies, like I will be, I have no problem saying I just did not agree with 12 years of slave winning best picture. Okay. Okay. Consider it's just like these certain movies, there's more than just Oscar politics involved. And I think it's like, these movies are timely for certain situations. And I think they get a little more weight because of that. I mean, this one, this one though, it's like, you know, honestly, uh, you couldn't ask for a better cast. You couldn't ask for a better setup, but I just think also, you know, from a standpoint, it's, you know, for me, it just felt felt very phoned in, but not in a bad way. I mean, it's, it's still deserving of the nomination. I would never discredit it for that. Uh, Next would be, let's see, where is my list at? Oh, next would be the trial of Chicago seven, just because it's like, it's what, this is something I could watch over and over again and not get sick of despite its flaws direction wise. Yeah, I can't get enough of the dialogue and and just those characters. That's so was that number five that. just now? Yeah, that was number five. Okay. I put four Mank because mainly because of what they pulled off. Everyone's at the top of their game and you know it's it's almost to be expected. It's a David Fincher flick. But it doesn't it, it doesn't quite have that feel for best picture. Because it's like, you know, oh, you have all the it's like it gets more merit on the accomplishment than it does for the actual final final result because it's like, Oh, only certain people could pull off this, but you know, some other films do better in certain regards. Now three, I picked Nomadland because, you know, and, and I'll just say this right now. I think it'll get the win because though we had a great time of not having it previous season, this is the safe pick. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. in the way it's done in the story and how it resonates with people, it's like, this one's a safe pick. Promising Young Woman is two because it's it's too good as a debut for its own good. And the Oscars probably the Academy rec- will recognize that. I, I think this is one of those things where it's like it's almost like they're not going to because it's like it almost doesn't make sense or it, it just like shouldn't happen. Almost from like a standpoint of like you need to pay your dues first before you get the best picture. <laughs> it's, it's like think about like like Get Out and Lady Bird, like those two having so many nominations but, you know, there are people almost like trying to suppress that. Like, no, 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 no. You can't do this good. This starting out. No, it's like the guy who gave who changed his rating for Lady Bird. So it wouldn't have 100 percent of Rotten Tomatoes anymore. It's like that. that's the kind of treatment. Which, oddly enough, wasn't Armored White, which everyone <laughs> yeah, would have so expected. Funny. He did that for Get Out, though. <laughs> right. And then I have number one as Minari because I think it just when you take a look at it separately, all the elements separately rank different but together it just it just hit the mark especially you know i i think it just resonates especially it's like you know it's the immigrant family trying to chase the american dream but it doesn't do it in the generic way yeah that's understandable i'll quickly go through mine uh because mine are also like all of my rankings for the most part are present on films fatale um Eight, I trolled the Chicago seven, which should have been seventh because, you know, seven, seven, but uh, I'm lame. Uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's a really good film. And uh, typically my, my last spot is like usually the good riddance spot for these best picture rankings. But all of these rank between four, 4.5 and five out of five for me. So these are all 
worth watching. They're all rewatchable. They're all great. So this being last isn't a knock on it. I agree with Rachel. I feel like it ends a little bit too Spielbergian. Like it just kind of uh, phones in the ending, which kind of kills it for me because otherwise it's a it's a very compelling, exciting film. My number seven is uh, Sound of Metal, which uh, I've already discussed my my qualms with the the story because otherwise I feel like it could have been an even higher rating. Um, I've revisited it a few times and I like it a little bit more and more each time. So even though it's seventh, it's still a fantastic film. So presently, okay, so I'm going to do something a little bit different because I already have my list on Films Fatale. So I'm going to swap to which I don't necessarily still believe in, but I'm going to do this subjectively. So subjectively, I feel like Mank is next, even though I have it afterwards in my typical rankings because I think it's a great film and it's really well made but something deep inside of me is just really resonating with Promising Young Woman which is usually my six but that is for this episode only as my five as we're talking about it right now I think it's just so inventive and so imaginative and so twisty and something we haven't seen before and so important um so maybe that's an indication that down the road, I'm just going to start loving it more and more. I'm not sure, but that's how I presently feel, even though my rankings on the website will say otherwise. Everything else is going to be the same. So my number four is The Father, which I think is so much better than anyone would give it credit for, especially when it first came out. Um, you know, assumptions are a very bad demon. Um, please see this film. It's guaranteed to, to bring you to tears and I think it's just such a, a humble moving earth shattering film full of amazing performances and great ideas my number three I guess contrary to what both of you felt was Judas and the Black Messiah I personally was riveted by this film I've seen it a number of times now and I find it just so thrilling and like I hang on to like each and every little second of it and I, I adore it. I think it's uh, a biopic that could have just taken the easy route, but it does all of the right notes instead, and it, it really goes the extra mile. My number two is Nomadland, which I think is going to win. Um, I think it's just a gorgeous, sublime, uh, natural, poetic film, and I'm going to give it a shout-out uh, using this opportunity. If you look at all of the Best Picture winners in history – you know, uh, Rachel, you were bringing up in either this episode or the previous uh, first part that the Oscar shakeup with how the pandemic has gone hasn't really changed much because the quality of films has been fantastic that have been selected. But how often does a Nomad Land win Best Picture? It doesn't. You know, that's like if Tree of Life won Best Picture and it didn't. It lost to the artist. So. I feel like in that respect, the fact that it is such a front runner, and I don't mean to jinx this, so knock on wood, but the fact that it has this much steam, it's just so, it's really incredible. As somebody who's like seen all the best picture winners and like I study this religiously, I just I just find it so fascinating and refreshing. And it is my number two. I just think it's such a, a moving but natural film. My number one is Minari, which was my top film of twenty twenty. I just think it's uh an impeccable film and um, that that's all I need to say about it. I adore it, but no, my bad's going to win. And yeah, usually at this point when we're ending the episodes, we give arbitrary weekly recommendations. I think we should do something a little bit more fitting to sign off. 
what is a film that you discovered doing doing this experiment that you haven't had a chance to really shout out yet that you never would have seen, but now you're like happy that you've seen it and you can't wait to recommend it. It could be one that you've also brought up as well. If, if you so, if you so desire, Rachel, uh, we'll start with you. I'm going to go completely goofy and I'm going to say I really enjoyed Love and Monsters. It was the last movie I watched. It was just last night. It is only nominated in visual effects and it's a, typical YA story about a young man who's living in this world where monsters have taken over. And the joy of it is it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's firmly tongue-in-cheek the whole time. It knows full well that the coincidences are too coincidental. The monsters are wonderfully designed. And if you're looking for a fun evening, that's what you got. Cool. Love of Monsters. I actually thought that was a very interesting film as well. And uh, for a straight-up action movie, it hits all the right notes, and it's got some really inventive creature designs. James, what about you? We only talked about this because it only got technical words, but I got to go with Tenet. Like, I'm so mad I wasn't able to see this in theaters. <laughs> also, it's just, you know, things are done so masterfully in a Nolan film, and I think it's just the fact that he always finds ways to incorporate temporal alienation in these films. And I don't know how he constantly comes up with stories that can do that, especially with this one. And with, you know, it's he's in the lane now where he's so comfortable to where it almost seems the complexity is almost natural. Like I'm noticing a lot of older directors who are still doing it after they hit a certain film. It's not that they're set in their ways, but it's like, you know, they have this mastery that is just, it's almost effortless for them to make films. It's like, you know, I'd say 2010 Steven Soderbergh is that way where it's like, it's like this, it's almost like he can't make a dud anymore. Like he's had some ones that you could consider duds, but it's like, you know, he's, he's figured out who he is truly. And it, it, it shows in Nolan's work. It's like, you know, he knows who he is in and out and he's just, you know, going to push further. And also just the fact that it was a film that was, you know, each of his films seems to get bigger in scope. Like you, like you can, he pulls the yes. camera out a bit back or he goes to more places. And it's like, how do it's like, you know, how do you make films so big and keep getting bigger? Like, I'm curious to what he does next. Oh, so John David Washington, enough said. I think he's got a great career ahead of him. Yes, I, I hope so for sure. My, my quick shout out is going to be a bit of a, a unique one. It's the animated short film opera, which technically is so even good. an animated short. It's a, it's an installation. Uh, basically it's this big, a huge art installation that can loop for either two minutes or 10 hours, depending on how often you want to see it. The Academy saw like a quick, what was it? Like a three minute version of it. Um, Yeah. It's this big pyramid that shows all of the complexities of society and all of the ways that corporate greed and corruption are destroying um, the middle class. They're, um, they're enslaving the the lower class and they're, they're making the, the upper class, these, I don't need to get too deep into it, uh, but um, it's just these crazy loops that keep going until they're, they're thwarted and then everything just resets. It's this great commentary on, um, you know, these waves of rebellion that make a bit of a mark, but then greed always wins and we just start back at one, this, this conveyor belt of society. It's, it's a brilliant installation and i'm surprised that something like that could even be featured here so uh shout out to that thank you so much to, to rachel and james who i can't believe pulled this off still and saw every single nomination and i'm i'm, I'm proud of you both and uh, thanks for listening to our two-part episode and what we're going to do is we're going to have a quick b-roll reaction after the oscars and we're going to share our delight or our frustrations with you but until then 
that was the K-Cut. Enjoy those Academy Awards. And if you don't like the Academy Awards at all, I'm very surprised to listen to three hours of this. Uh, we're going into the L-Cut now.